Can we thank all those who were involved in every way possible, from the teachers to the volunteers to those who work behind the scenes. Thank you. You know, I really want to thank all that as a parent as well. Thank you so much. It's been, what, three years since we had our last kids camp, so it was really amazing. I was really excited and I was there throughout. I only wish it was three days longer, so maybe you can baptize the kids after that, water baptize, you know. So anyway, thank you so much. Um, today we're going to continue the series on worship that Pastor started a few weeks ago. So before I begin, can I you know, invite everyone to stand in honour of the Word? We have a lot to cover, but it's going to be a powerful, powerful time. And God has a Word for everyone here. Amen. Amen. Let's read the Word in Romans 12, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. Or you can look behind me. And I'm going to read out to you. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing and His perfect will. Would you join me to lift up your hands and your heart and your voices and let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord God, for the past few days in kids' camp. And Lord, we thank you for gathering us here this morning, Lord. I believe, oh Lord God, that you have a word for us and we are here, Lord God. We ask that you open up our ears to hear from you. Your word says that your word will not go forth, will go forth and not return void, oh Lord. So we pray, Lord God, that you accomplish whatever you want to do in our midst, Lord. Father, Lord, have your way do your will in our midst, O Lord. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people, you can say amen. amen. Please, we may be seated. If you are joining us for the first time as a guest, we welcome you as well. Or if you are tuning in, we also welcome you uh, wherever you are from the comforts of your home. Tabernacle Joy, why don't you maybe show yourself friendly. If you see any new faces, we welcome you. Maybe you are a parent from your kids and your kids join uh, Kids Camp and you're here first time today, we welcome you. So today, we're going to cover a lot of things. You know, one of my favourite shows, right, uh, is called Mythbusters. Have anyone watched Mythbusters before? Yeah, I love it. I really love it because you set up a few myths, common misconceptions that people have about things and then they'll try to prove to you that it's wrong. They'll show you what exactly is the right thing. Well, today, I'm going to be a Mythbusters, okay? So I invite you all to join me on this journey. We're going to talk about five myths Five myths about worship that, you know, a lot of us have, that I had before, you know, for a very long time as well. So we're going to cover these five myths. Firstly, that worship is only for the spiritual. Secondly, worship is only for God's benefit. Third one, worship refers to singing and dancing only. Fourth, worship can only be done in the right condition. And last but not least, that worship needs to make sense to me. So let's start with the first one by revisiting what Pastor had previously taught us. Let's go to the myth number one. Worship is only for the spiritual. In other words, I can only worship if I'm spiritual or if I'm qualified or if I meet certain standards or I hit certain requirements. Let's put it this way. The truth is everyone here, the person next to you, the person you think of right now in, the, in your head, you and me, all of us, our worshippers. We were created by God to worship. Whether we realize it or not. I used to have a colleague. 
you know, this ex-colleague of mine. And every time I go to office, he'll be there before me. When I leave office, he will still be there after me. Over the weekends, I can be sure that he's working because I receive emails over on Saturdays and Sundays as well. So he's working throughout the clock. I wonder whether he sleeps in office or not. I have no idea. But it feels like it. But how I know that it was a bit, little bit, uh, a bit strange already was where he started to recount to me about this job that he, we have. And he joked that he worked so much, and he said this laughing with a smile on his face, he worked so much that his son doesn't even recognize him when he goes home. Ah, that was my, my, my exact response. Ah, I was shocked that such people existed. But you know that, that showed me something, that he was worshipping his job. And therein lies what I want to put out to everyone, submit today, this morning. That everyone here worships something. And you do not need to be spiritual to put something of utmost importance to you. So he carried like a badge of honour, this ex-colleague of mine. You know? Um, and that's why I realised. You see, whatever the season in life that you find yourself in, whether you are studying, whether you are working, or whether you're not doing either, your retirement, or you're just enjoying yourself on holiday, you worship. You see, worship is a shortened version of the word worth-ship. For some, it might be a job, others a loved one, or an item, or a girl band, or a boy band, or a TV show, or even yourself. You are essentially saying this, worth, this is worth my time, this is worth my money, this is worth my attention. This is worth everything that I have. And that's why this is worship or worship. You see, but a lot of times, you know, the things that we place in, that are important to us might not exactly be bad in and of itself. It might even be God's gift or blessings to us. However, there's something really wrong in a relationship when one person values the gift over the giver. Think about it, parents. How would you feel if your child wants a gift that you can give him or her more than you? I'll be devastated. Or for those of you who are not parents, you are in courtship, how would you feel if your boyfriend or girlfriend wants what you can give him or her over the time that he or she can spend with you? If Sister Grace tells me that, I, I'll be devastated also. <laughs> okay. So, that is why when it comes to a relationship with God, let's put it, okay, this, I know this is pretty straightforward and you all have heard about it, you know, for the past few weeks, but let's put it this way. We should be worshipping the giver instead of the gifts that He gives us. And the giver is who? Jesus. Okay, so let's be practical. Let's go one step further. Okay, you say, Brother Brian, you know, you put a very good uh, point, you know, I can agree with you that we should worship God. After all, we are all here this morning, Right? So let's be practical. Let's go one step further. How do you know what is of utmost importance to you? How do you know if you have elevated something, you know, to a point where, hmm, I need to readjust my priorities already? Here are four questions, okay, that you want to ask yourself. Number one, what do you talk the most about? To anyone. You know, what comes out in a daily conversation? Because the Word of God says, out of the abundance of your heart, of our hearts, the mouth will speak. So it's just, we just can't contain it, you know. If you are a soccer fan, you know, nothing wrong with that. 
but you know you're a soccer fan, you keep talking about it. Or if you like a particular thing, like a particular food, you know you like it because you keep talking about it. Number two, what do you willingly, and I say I willingly spend your time on? And why willingly? It's because, let's face it, the reality is we have to go to school, we have to work. Not all of us are willingly doing it. I can tell my kids are not willingly waking up in the morning. But what do you find yourself willingly doing when you are able to choose to do so? And next, how frustrated you are when that is taken from you. How frustrated you get when a certain thing you willingly want to do, you can't do it. When something you want to eat, you can't do it. How frustrated are you? Here's, here's a case in point. When my, my, my daughter was much younger, she was an animal worshipper. Yeah, really, she was an animal worshipper. She loved My Little Pony. Have you all heard about it, parents? I'm sure you have heard of My Little Pony. Well, my girl was always watching My Little Pony. She was always asking Grace and I, can I watch, you know, My Little Pony? And she was always talking about it. It's always Pinkie Pie, one of the characters. It's always Buttercup or I don't know what. She was evangelizing Grace and me, you know, telling me, have you heard about Lord and Saviour Pinkie Pie? She was telling us, she was out of the abundance of the heart, she was telling us the goodness of, Pink, of, of, of Pinkie Pie or, or My Little Pony. So I knew that something, you know, is up. Hmm, a little bit uh, obsession down there already. She even had all the pagan worship items. She had a soft toy, Pinkie Pie. She had all the collectibles. She had a dress, Pinkie Pie dress, you know, and a lot of different versions of it as well. But what else did I notice about my girl at that point of time? She also started to talk like my little pony. She started to whine a lot, like a horse. You know, a horse whines. And so that was where Grace and I decided that that is that, you know, a little bit too much obsession already. And we stopped. Which brings me to my next, my next question. You know, the, the questions that I just shared, how you know. Last but not least, how have your perception been shaped? How have your thoughts and your attitudes been shaped? If you're watching something and you know that is shaping your views and your perception of the world, then a little bit of red flag there and a warning sign. And this question is so important because let me share with you my story as well. In university, I, you know, I was never a, 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 a good student. I was never strong in academics. You know, and, and I came from a neighborhood school. My parents used to joke that I'm always the top five if you come from the back. So that was the kind of background that I had. Never good in school. And so you can imagine that sense of accomplishment when I went into a local university. And I can be honest, I did really well in university. I love it. It was the best time because I received a lot of uh, you know, uh, good grades. You know, I enjoyed what I did. I feel that there was something that I, I love to do. I enjoyed the subject. And I did so well that my uni professors even encouraged me to pick up uh, master's or even uh, go for PhD, you know. And if that's the case, then maybe, you know, I, I'll be more than, you know, uh, Professor X. I'll be a real professor already, right? <laughs> I say that first because in case anyone want to make fun of me, I may find myself first, <laughs> okay? Okay, so, but you see, the problem then, right, 
was that my view of the world was getting shaped and strongly influenced by the things that I, I learned in university. Okay, if you, you are wondering what did I study, I studied sociology. And the way that we were taught to view the world, oh man, it was very different from the Word of God. Let me give you an example. The Word of God tells us to honour our leaders, to give them honour, double honour. What I learned in school teach me and train me to critique my leaders, to point out their flaws and their shortcomings. And that, trust me, came very easy to me. I was good at doing that. And Grace will tell you, very good still at doing that. Uh, not my leaders, but in general. But so you see, there was a struggle within me. Oh, do I follow the word of God to say, to honour my leaders? Or, you know, the word, uh, the, the, the word of the world, you know, by critiquing them. And that was what I had to struggle with, even though university was one of the most enjoyable time, you know, that I had. And I had to be careful. And I had to stop myself. And I had to repent many times and ask God to renew my mind because if not, if I didn't do that, I won't be standing in front of everyone today and sharing about what God has changed in my life. You see, if I wasn't careful, I would have allowed the perception of the world to shape everything about me, where I'm going, what I'm doing, how I'm thinking, my behaviours, my thoughts, my actions. So how do you know back again what are the things that you put in our most importance, that you're worshipping? Ask yourself these questions. Number one, what do you talk the most about? Out of the abundance of the heart, you will speak. How do you, what, what do you do willingly, you know, to spend your time on? How frustrated are you if that's taken away from you? And how have your thoughts and your perceptions been shaped by that? And if you really, really, really listen, if you really stop and listen, and if you really keep quiet and listen and allow God to speak, He is revealing that. It may not be now as I'm talking, it may be now as I'm talking, but it will be maybe later or in the coming days. That if you really pause and take a check and say, Lord, what exactly am I worshipping? Trust me, He will reveal that to you. But then comes the struggle and what to do next. So what did I do next? When God revealed the areas that are taking priority over your life. Romans 12, 2, we just read. It says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's good pleasing, perfect will. See, I had to, I was conforming to the patterns of this world. So I had to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. The New Living Translation says this, don't copy the behaviours and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And we cannot change ourselves. We need to surrender to God and let Him transform us. So if you are like my daughter, and you can do with cold turkey, that's what we did with her. We took away everything. You know, no more My Little Pony. We trash it. We, we offer it to, you know, to the, as a sacrifice. That was her Mount Moriah. 
Not mine, that's hers. Yeah. Oh, if you are like me, you put yourself in the presence of God. You saturate yourself with the Word of God. You hang out more with people that you know will help you to think like the Word of God. You see, there are some things that can be taught, but a lot of times, a disciple's life or a life that's following after Jesus has to be caught. It has to be done in fellowship with other like-minded, godly people. And a lot of things, and a lot of times, is both the teaching of the Word as well as the presence of a godly fellowship that helps us to renew our minds. So back to worship. And the point I want to make at this time is that true worship is expressed by a heart that loves God. And sometimes loving God means sacrificing certain things that are stopping your walk with God or are hindering that relationship with God. A true worship also makes time for Him. Okay, so, Brother Brian, since God made everyone a worshipper, I know you and me, we are all worshippers. Are we worshipping God for His sake? That's the next myth. I worship God because He needs me to. Let's bust that myth. Myth number two, worship is for God's benefit. One of the biggest misconceptions about worship that it is it was somehow for God's benefit as though He needs us to do it for Him. Here's the deal. Worship benefits us. It benefits you. It benefits the person next to you. It benefits your family. It benefits us. But worship more than ever is not, it's more benefits us rather than God. See, God is pleased with our worship. And the truth is He doesn't need our worship. Why? He's all-sufficient He's omnipresent. He's eternal. He exists without us. He's not in need of anything. He's the source of all life, all joy and all good things. But you see, He created us to worship so that we can enjoy His presence, so that we can partake, so we can join and, 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 and you know, uh, benefit from the love and the joy that He has for us. And worship is that doorway. Worship is that platform to enjoy God's presence and to enjoy that life and joy that He has. Psalms 31, 19 says, How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You know, it's not that we'll never have any trouble. It's not that I'm not here trying to tell you that uh, you worship God and then your life will be a bit of roses. Life will be so good. You will get blessings everywhere you go. People will look at you and just smile. You know, you will never have to have a sad day in your life. No, life will still happen. But when we worship, we worship knowing that God has promised us that when we put our trust in Him, He is a strong tower, where we hope in Him, He is there for us. And His promise is that He will never leave nor forsake you. He will never leave nor forsake your family members. And that is why when we worship like what we did just now, you know, the worship leader, Brother Sam, Brother Chris, come up to exalt us. When we do that, we are doing it because we know 
that God deserves every praise and every honour. Worship is also about surrendering to God and about recognising His Lordship. It is never about fulfilling an obligation. It's never about doing that. He loves your worship. He loves the whatever you do in worship to God. And He understands it, that there are times when it's a struggle to worship. There are times where it's painful to lift up hands. There are times where it is, you are so tired that you can't even move your feet. But then, you know what? Because He understands it, He loves it even more when we do it. He loves it even more that when we can say, despite what I'm going through, I choose to lift up my hands. Despite what the report says, I choose to praise you. Despite what people might say about me, I choose to look at you, my Lord and Saviour. He knows when we are struggling and it makes it even more beautiful that in our struggle, we choose to worship. And that is why Tabernacle of Joy, worship moves God. That is why when we come together, you know, it's okay, you know, to come to, come to God struggling. Because when you do that, your struggles and your decision to worship, despite of that, it moves God deeply. I saw this happening during kids' camp where God's presence was so strong and so powerful. You know, our kids don't overthink. When they come before God, you know, when the worship leader calls the kids, come on, let's praise Him. Let's do the actions. Oh, oh, oh. They just do it. They don't overthink. You know, do I, you know, I, 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 do I have problems? You know, if I have problems, how can I lift up my hands? They don't think that way. They don't second guess. When the worship leader says, you know, praise Him, clap your hands, let's jump, let's dance. Don't think, oh, what is this worship leader doing? Does he or she know what he's doing or not? They're not worshipping because of any obligation. And that's why it's so beautiful to see those kids worship. You know, when I saw that and I was in that presence of these kids worshipping, it was beautiful, it was amazing. They worship with childlike faith. And then, with that childlike faith, God could move in their midst. And that's why you see so many of these kids getting baptised, having the Holy Spirit. So to the next myth. Now that I know God loves our worship, and worship is for our sake, what does worship entail? I want to, you know, this one is very interesting. Okay, here's the myth. I can only worship with songs, singing, and dancing. If you're new to TJ, you'll find that our worship is so expressive. You'll find that this morning, like for example, this morning, we are demonstrative. We lift up our hands. We jump. We dance. You know, and it's so different. We are privileged to have an amazing worship team, music team, amazing sound team that ushers us into God's presence on Sundays. When I first came, you know, to church many, many years ago, we were at Chinatown Point. And what I saw, what I experienced, I could never, I can never forget, 
it was spectacular. It was extravagant worship. Here's a description for those who, you know, may not have the chance to see it or weren't there. And for those who have, you'll recognize, you know, some of these descriptions that I'm going to share. First, I saw the ladies coming down the altar without shoes. I don't know why, because maybe you scared to step on each other's toes or something, you know. My wife told me it's because y'all were done so much that, you know, you're scared of ankle sprains. But that was amazing. I was like, wow, this was really cool. I never noticed it before. Other things I noticed was that someone, not a musician, okay, will be blowing an air horn in the middle of uh, praise and singing. You'll be singing things like, you know, halfway through the song, someone goes, you'll wake up anyone who's sleeping. If you're not asleep, <laughs> it'll wake you up. Okay? I love it, yeah. <laughs> wake us up. Another one will be holding up a plate card, a big cardboard vanguard sheet with scriptures. And that was so beautiful. I, like, I was worshipping and then there was the Word of God down there telling me, you know, and, and sometimes it'll be word, uh, word about on Psalms or sometimes about any other word. And it was, it was beautiful. And, and the person would just be waving it, you know, during worship. I remember seeing Brother Jonah running the owls, doing flips in the air. I remember seeing Brother Peter James stomping on his spectacles. I don't know what was that. Maybe he was stomping on the devil, but he was stomping and he was stomping really hard <laughs> on his own spectacles. No one else stopped him. We just let him storm. <laughs> the front of the stage was literally, the MC would say, and how hell we open, the, the dance floor is open. And that's what we literally called the front of stage, the dance floor. And it was spectacular. The only thing missing was the light sticks, you know, and the people body surfing in the front. But everything else was there and it was, it was out of this world. It was phenomenal. You see, the clapping, the jumping, the singing, the lifting of hands and the bowing, everything, all these are postures of worship. Not what we created. Not that, it's not like TJ thing, you know. It's actually biblical. It's from the Word of God. And these are postures of worship to honour God. Except about the stomping the spectacles part. I still can't find that scripture. Maybe Brother Peter, you can show us where does it say to stomp on your spectacles. <laughs> but some of the scriptures I found about dancing and clapping and singing and lifting up our voices okay, uh, is in Psalms, for example, Psalm 71, 23, you can show it. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. Psalm 66, 1. Shout for joy to God. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. You see, what do we do with these scriptures, Tabernacle of Joy? I believe that God put everything into the Bible intentionally. And it's not just suggestions. Eh? The way it was phrased sounds more like a commandment. Sounds more like, more like telling us to do it rather than if you are happy, do it. If, you know, day is good, do it. You know what? Just do it. If the Word of God says it, 
Okay, fine. Let's do it. It is biblical. Amen. So why don't let's try? Why don't let's just clap our hands to God all across this place and give Him the praise and shout to God and make a joyful noise. Come on, Tabernacle Joy. And if you're at home, you can do it as well. Wherever you are, even if you're tuning in. Come on, you're not doing it for Brother Brian. We are doing it for Jesus. So one more time, I know you're not doing it for me when I'm telling you to. When a worship leader comes out and says, lift your hands, you know, you're not doing it for him or her. You're doing it for God. That is a visible sign of obedience to the Word of God. Okay? So I hope that helps everyone, you know, as a refresher. I used to think that these were suggestions until I realized that they were actually commandments. And so I do it despite what I may be feeling in this moment. Because God clearly wants us to follow them. So we talk about outward expressions. The dancing, the clapping, the singing, the lifting of hands, the shouting, the praising. And these are powerful outward expressions and postures of worship. But I also want to tell everyone that there is actually more to worship than these outward expressions. Worship is also inward. It's also about obeying God through our actions, through our attitudes, and through our thoughts and our lifestyle. And it can also manifest in ways that are more than just the singing and what we do during praise and worship time. For example, it is also manifest in prayer and also in serving. Worship is also about giving. Can everyone say giving? Give to Give off, give up, give in. Worship is also about giving to God our praise, giving of ourselves in our time, talent, resources, money, giving up of our own pride and ego and ambitions, giving in to God when the Spirit moves us. And there'll be times during praise or worship or times in your walk where giving in to God might be the most powerful act of worship you can do. When the Spirit of God moves in an atmosphere of faith and praise, I encourage you to give in and allow God to move you, be it with a raising of hand, clapping, be it praying for someone, be it serving someone. One of the most powerful expressions of worship, Tabernacle of Joy, is when we give in and surrender to what God is wanting us to do. Can I have an amen for that? Psalms 96, 8 says, Give to the Lord the glory due to His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Give a glory what? that's due to His name. That's why we praise Him. That's why we honour God. You see, when we talk about the Bible and when we study Scripture, Bible scholars have a principle when they look and study Scripture. This principle is called the Law of First Mention. Law of First Mention, it refers to this concept that to understand a particular word, when you read in the Bible, to understand this particular word or this particular concept, you need to find the first ever mention of that word in the Bible. And the reason is that the first mention of that word 
is also the simplest, the clearest way the, that word is supposed to be understood. Okay, and then after that, you're supposed to study, you know, that particular passage, that particular scripture. But this is called the law of the first mention. Okay, and all Bible scholars here, all of you are Bible scholars today. Let me share with you. In Genesis 22, this was the first time worship was ever mentioned in the Bible. And it was done in relation to sacrifice. In, verse, in, in Genesis chapter 22, God was testing Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I'm going to read Genesis. Oh, it's behind. Okay, great. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. First ever mention of worship. And we will come back to you. This was the first ever mention. And so you see, worship is also about sacrifice. Worship is also about giving. I see that demonstrated a lot in kids' camp, okay? Because I was involved in, in the past few days as well, I see that our children had an incredible time. And I know we also thank our, our teachers, you know, uh, for them. But I also saw that the kids' camp couldn't have been achieved if not for also a group of people behind, behind the scenes. Not just behind the scenes, uh, behind, behind the scenes. People who provided something that's very important, the food to and feed all of you helpers and all of our kids and all of you parents as well. I'm not going to name names because you know who you are. And I know you are not doing it for any public recognition. But I have seen the way you have given your time, given your resources, your money, out of your own pocket. You've given your own energy. You've given up your sleep to bless our children and our helpers and our campers tremendously. And they couldn't have been done without your food. So thank you for those of y'all who cooked behind the scenes or provided the food or contributed. You have showed me really with what you have done, demonstrated worship, that you don't need an official title to serve. You don't need to be known as a kids' church teacher to sacrifice. You don't need an official title to give of yourself. You don't need public recognition to do so because you have shown me sometimes worship is behind the scenes and you're doing it unto God. And what you have done for our children, you've done it unto Jesus. Thank you. So another misconception that I want to cover is that we only participate in worship when in the context of a church activity or in a camp. No, worship is not confined to what we do in service today. Worship is not confined to what we do in camp. Worship is not confined to what we do on a Tuesday prayer meeting. All these are times of worship, but it's not confined to that. Worship is a lifestyle. A better understanding of worship means recognizing worship goes beyond attending church, but a life of service and dedication to God. In the Old Testament, King Saul made the mistake of thinking religious activities meant worship, but God responded to him and telling him, nope. He pointed out that religious activities are not an indicator of your worship. 
true worship starts in the heart and it's expressed and it's revealed in your actions, in the way you live your life. 1 Samuel 15.22 says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. How we obey God, tabernacle of joy, how you obey, how I obey God shows how much we worship Him. 1 Corinthians says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And because it's a lifestyle, it's about a relationship with God. It's not about going through the motions when we come together in a church, but it's on a daily basis. Your worship doesn't start and end on a Sunday morning. Your worship continues after we leave this place on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the rest of the week, and continues up until a Sunday. Here's another myth. How about worshipping when I feel like it? Myth number four. Worship can only be done in the right, right conditions. In John 4, Jesus introduced a new kind of worship and worshippers. And this is what he said. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship when they feel like it. On Sunday mornings, only when the music is playing the key of G. Is that what it says? It says it must worship Him in what? Spirit and truth. Only two ingredients that Jesus raised. Not about the right conditions. Not about when we are feeling like it. When we feel, you know, that we have the strength or when we feel like we want to do it. We don't need to feel a certain way before deciding to worship God. In fact, the moments which you least feel like worshipping are the moments that you need to worship God the most. The moments in which you feel the most resistance. The moments where you feel the emptiest and the driest when you're running low are the very, very, very moments that God is beckoning you. He's inviting you. He's encouraging you to come and worship Him. Come and drink from His Spirit. Come and be in His presence. Amen. Army training was one. It was the driest time in my life. I couldn't come for, for Sunday services, much less prayer meetings, much less youth service, much less Friday. We had Friday meetings then. I couldn't attend service at all, so I, was, I felt inside terrible. And I was away from godly fellowship. I didn't have the, 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 the chance or the opportunity or time to spend with you guys you know, to, and to learn about God and to be in God's presence. And army, for those who have gone through army, you know, it can be one of the worst or, or rather the, the most, the hardest place to actually worship God because of the environment, the people, so far away from God. And especially when you're doing training, right? Because all in your mind is about training or getting scolded by your sergeant or getting, you know, doing push-ups. I still have nightmares about army training, even up to this day. It was how scarred I am still until now. 
But you see, my worship and my time with God was one of the most powerful and intimate also during army times. Strange, huh? It's very strange. One of the driest times that I had was also marked by times of intimate, close, and really, 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 really amazing time that I had with God. Let me introduce to you the concept of leading yourself in worship. Before the worship leaders stand here to, you know, to, to exhort everyone, all of them had to learn to lead themselves in worship first. Even the music team, before you can stand out on stage, you need to learn to lead yourself in worship. And leading yourself in worship is one of the most powerful things that you can do because you, all of us, are not just worshipers. We are worship leaders. We lead ourselves into worship. Second Samuel 6, 22. In the face of criticism, in face of resistance, from his wife, Michael. David made this statement when, in, in, in the context of worship. His wife told him, you know, you, you are really, you know, can you stop worshipping? You are making, you are so shameful. You are making a, 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 a hot mess of yourself. Stop that. You know, you are supposed to be the king. You are supposed to be dignified. You are supposed to be royalty. Stop doing things like dancing and shouting, you know, like, like little kids. No. See what David replied to his wife. I'll even be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. There will be times in your life when you feel there are that resistance or there will be voices in your head that says, ah, are you doing this? You know, why are you even doing this? Does it even make sense or not? Does it even make sense? You look so silly, you know, lifting out your hands. You're, one, you're a big adult, you know, lifting up your hands to something that you cannot even see, you cannot, can't even, you know, feel. But we can follow the example of David to say that I, we lead ourselves to worship and what the resistance is, we say to the face of resistance, I will be even more undignified and I will humble myself. Amen. Because I know that there is a God that watches me when I worship Him. And I know that when I worship Him, it's really for that audience of that one King, that one God who delights in my worship, who delights in my obedience, who delights when I follow the Word of God to, that says, lift up your hands and shout and praise. I will be even more undignified than this and I will humble myself because it's all about Jesus. See, David was, before a warrior, he was a worshipper. And before maybe you can face your resistance and your mountains, could it be that God is asking us first to be a worshipper before we put on that warrior armour, before we put on the armour of Christ to face our mountains and our devils, to face our problems, to first, to come before God in worship. Amen. Be like David, to be a worshipper first before a warrior. And many people think that worship occurs when we only feel a certain way. I'm referring to the goosebumps, the feels. I love it when it happens. It's like the presence of God sweeps in and I can feel my hands standing, the hair on my arms. Okay, I, I know, once again. Stop it, y'all. I know what you're thinking. Okay? And you know the feels, you know, sometimes it feels good, right? In the atmosphere of faith and worship. But it's not about the feeling, can I say? It's all about obedience to God's words. When was the last time you said grace? Did it give you the feeling? Did your hair stand after saying grace? 
Do you get the tingles you know, in your fingertips after you say grace? No. But because you just want to demonstrate thankfulness and gratitude to God when we say grace and in obedience to God's word. The same thing. When we come to God in worship, it's all about obeying and it's about faith. We need to worship God in faith. And obedience is that outward expression of faith. You want to know who determines how good your worship is? Anybody want to know that question? You know, I want to have really good worship. So what can I do about it? Well, here's a clue. Music does not determine our worship experience. How I know that? In Acts 16, Paul and Silas worship without a music band. They make their own music. They make their own praise. They created that prison cell into a place of worship. They changed the atmosphere of a prison cell into a place where heavens opened and they met God. So here, here's the answer. Who determines how good your worship is? Who are finger? Point to yourself. God is always there. Like what Brother Sam said just now, we need to pour, it's all about us. Sometimes coming to God is about pouring out all the things that you have and coming to Him and says, here I am, God. Here I am to worship you. And God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder for those who diligently seek Him. You want to know how to have a deeper time of worship with God? You want to know? You can make it happen. How? Here's a practical tip that I learned from Bishop Willoughby. Sleep early on every Saturday night. Make sure your kids sleep early as well so that they can have a powerful time at kids' church and tiny tots. Sleep early and next thing, come earlier to service. Come pray, connect with God. Come to get into the mind of Christ so that you will not be distracted by the cares of the world so that you can have that right frame of mind. Very practical tips. I love being practical. You determine the depth of your experience in worship by the things you do even before the worship starts. Even before Sunday starts, go and sleep. Wake up in the morning, come down early to pray. Here's another tip. You can write it down. Fast from social media, fast from any media. You know what? Fast from entertainment. I love biryani. Some of you call me biryani. <laughs> it's one of my favourite foods in the world, okay? And I can, you know, if you have time, you can, we can talk about the delights of biryani. I can tell you where to find good biryani, types of biryani, Middle Eastern biryani, Burmese biryani, Indian biryani, Singaporean biryani. I have my own favourite biryani. But after eating McDonald's, you can give me the best biryani in the world, cooked by the best chef, Gordon Ramsay, or I don't know whether he cooks biryani, but who else? All the, basically the best ones. You can give me the best ones. But after I eat McDonald's, I cannot eat any more biryani. As much as I love biryani, I cannot already because I already have McDonald's. Likewise, it's hard to be hungry for God when we come to Him full of junk from the world. And that is why just now, Brother Sam came up and tell everyone, it's time to empty yourself. I didn't tell him anything about what I'm going to say. 
It was God that confirmed. And so he stood up and says, before we even move on any further, we need to come before him and, and, and just empty. We need to come before him and lay aside all the cares, lay aside every weight, lay aside all the things that is cluttering our mind. And one more time, can we just do that? I just feel a presence and a leading from God. Will you just lift up your hands and just cast it to him again? I don't know, maybe you have picked up through when I was talking, pick up some cares of this world. I want you to take this chance right now to cast it to Jesus. Take this chance right now to say, Lord, I want to empty myself. I want to empty of this care. I want to empty of this worry and this anxiety, Lord God, because I want you to pour into me and I want you to fill me up, oh Lord God, with your presence, with your power, with your love. I don't want, oh Lord God, to be distracted by the world. Come on, Tabernacle of Joy. Maybe you will just come to God and, with, and surrender that to Him and, and, and let this be an act of surrender. We are talking about worship. Let's pray this worship right now in an act of surrender, Lord. I lift this up to you, Jesus. I surrender, Lord God, this care, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, oh Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Can we just give God praise all across? We worship you. We praise you, Lord God. Last but not least, and here's the final myth, that you can only worship when it makes sense to you. May 5, worship needs to make sense to me. I need to know, be able to chart what is happening. I need to anticipate and foresee what God is going to do. God needs to show me the next five steps before I start with step one. And I need to know, why are we doing what we do? I need to know all this first. I need to make sense in my, to my logic. Let me share with you something that's really, really cool to me. It's called the Battle of Jericho story of Jericho in the book of Joshua chapter 6. See, this was the first conquest of the Israelites led by this guy called Joshua. So they were in the land of Canaan and all the enemy uh, uh, location was in this city called Jericho. And they set out to win the city of Jericho. And God gave Joshua a very unusual, very strange strategy. Never before heard, you know, uh, in any historical uh, uh, fight. And this is what he said. Let's read. Joshua 6, chapter... Yeah, Joshua 6. Let's go to, let's go to verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king and its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests giving one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then, the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into town. Okay, let me break down. Joshua 6 for you. Verse 2, The Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king and its strong towers. Question, has it been done yet? No, it was a promise. Then we move on. Chapter uh, Verse 3, 4, 5 was the instructions. It was really detailed instructions. It will, if, it's, if it's me, I will probably miss out one step or two steps. 
but I'm glad Joshua followed every instructions. That was in 3, 4, 5. At the end of verse 5, there was another promise that God said at the last sentence. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into town. So here's the question, Bible scholars. What caused Jericho to fall? Was it the marching around? Was it a loud shout? Or was it simply obeying every instructions from God? It was just pure obedience to God. You see, everyone obeyed. Let me point out to you, in, in the, um, back to Joshua, God's instructions was for all to shout. Yeah? Did he say all except the ladies? Did he say all except those who are wearing white? Did he say all except those who are wearing shorts? No. His instructions was very clear, all to shout. And he gave a lot of other instructions, like blowing the ram's horn, like marching around, which was unheard of. I mean, come on, any... War, all of us have watched some war movies. Does it even make sense to walk around something and shout? Those in the engineering degree will say, hmm, the energy to shout cannot overcome the energy to break down the, the bricks in the wall or whatever. You know, you don't know what I mean. It doesn't make sense at all. And it doesn't make sense, it doesn't necessarily make sense to everyone there. See, the Bible didn't say that everyone believed it would happen. It doesn't describe the reaction of everyone there when God gave the instructions, when Joshua told to the priest and told his fighting men, this is what you're supposed to do. The Bible didn't describe how did the people responded to Joshua. Did they respond in, yes, let's do it, even though it doesn't make sense? Did they say, hmm, you're very suspicious. I don't know whether this will make sense or not. No. But we could all assume that maybe one or two had their doubts. But even if they doubted, you see, what we read, is that all of them obeyed. And how we know all of them obeyed? Because it happened. Their obedience, and everyone showed that faith, and their obedience to God unlocked that breakthrough. Amen. So it's not about you have 100% you know, belief. It's not about that. Sometimes you have doubts. I get it. I have doubts also in my walk with God. We are only human. But, some, but many times, in fact, all the times, you can bring that doubt to God. Many times you can come to God and say, you know what, be like the man in the Bible who says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe that you can heal, but help me with my unbelief. I believe that there can be a breakthrough when I start praising you, but help me with my unbelief. I believe that you can come in and be that, that, that help for my family, but help me with the unbelief. But in the meantime, I'm going to worship because you tell me to. In the meantime, I'm going to lift up my hands because you tell me to. In the meantime, I'm going to dance and sing and shout because you tell me to. 
you can still worship God with your doubts. In fact, it's even more beautiful when you come to God before your doubts because you're just being real. And worship is about being real to God. It's not about coming on and saying, mm, I'm well, all is well within me and I have no problems. No, true worship coming to God transparent and says, Lord, here I am with my doubts. Here I am with my struggles and with my pain. Here I am with my problems and my cares. Here I am with my report. But Lord, bigger than all this, stronger than all this, greater than all this, is a God that I serve. It's a God that I love. It's a God that is here who is for me, who will not forsake me. And we do that with our obedience, Tabernacle of Joy. It's not hypocritical to worship God when you're struggling. It's not hypocritical to worship God when you're having a hard time or when you're walking through a desert. Come on, lead yourself into worship. That is a time where true worshippers, worship leaders arise within us and says, you know what, I will lead myself into worship. In fact, the Bible mentions about bringing a sacrifice of praise. Praise that responds to who God is, not our circumstances, not our situation. Praise that goes against how we feel in this particular time. That is why it's called sacrifice. Because we are giving to God. We're giving up of ourselves to Him. And the most powerful worship is expressed when it doesn't make sense at all. And how do I know this? Because I've seen it lived out in many lives among you folks. The things that some of you have to go through, the pain, the struggles, and yet you still chose to worship Him. I've seen it demonstrated, not just in a selected few, but every one that I've spoken to. And but most of all, I've seen it lived out in the life of Bishop Willoughby. From him, I learned that worship is for everyone. Worship is for our benefit. Worship has an outward expression. And worship is a lifestyle of surrender, a lifestyle of obedience, a lifestyle of never stop loving God. Bishop showed us, showed me what a life of worship is. For those who are privileged enough to know him, you know that he has never stopped to encourage, to tell us to be worshippers despite his circumstances, despite what he had to go through. He was still exalting, he was still encouraging, he was still demonstrating what it means to worship. And that hit home with me that Bishop is a worshipper. So let's hear it once more from our bishop. Let's hear it once more, Tabernacle of Joy. Because sometimes we need reminders of our DNA, of our calling to be worshippers. Can we play the video? Don't tell me you're in love and it's not being manifest. Extravagant worship equals extravagant presence. Worship is the visible overflow of love. The key emotion of worship is love. The key attitude of worship is surrender. The key act of worship is obedience. Preaching requires a calling. Worship requires a willing. Beyond my money, there's a sacrifice that I can give it's renewable every day I can decide if I'm going to dance if I'm going to sing or if I'm going to pout 
and if I'm going to pity, pitiful, pitiful me. And my body says, you idiot, stay still. You don't have enough energy to do that. But when you folks start singing, my spirit says, are you going to listen to your body? Or are you going to get with it? And I found that that's when it's the most powerful. Is when I allow my spirit to overrule my logic. When I allow the word to dictate and not, you know, how I feel. I already know that clapping, he likes it. I already know that kneeling makes him happy. I already know that bowing and worshiping and dancing and spinning. So I can't do less. I can't be nonchalant about it. But there's going to be folks that try to give you a complex about this. And say, why don't you cool down and cool off? Why don't you folks move into this new modern, this politically correct environment? I'm letting you know that this might not be politically correct, but it's biblically correct. You say, so what you're saying is it's all about dancing. No. It's about giving honor and proving lordship. Worship is about lordship. It's about who's in charge. Flesh and logic or spirit and word. Am I submitted to polished pride and self-presentation? Or am I submitted to the worship commands that says leap for joy. Shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. Which is it going to be? Is it going to be flesh or is it going to be spirit? That's all that matters to me. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word is going to last forever. Jesus said that he was looking for worshipers, true worshipers, that would worship him in spirit and in truth. And for such the Father seeketh. I know we've been doing this a while, but that's why they call it a sacrifice of praise. You don't do it because you feel like it. You don't do it because you got extra energy. You do it because he's worthy. It's the number one reason I was created. It's to be a worshiper. He was a worshiper first, then a warrior. He was a worshiper first, then a king. He was a worshiper first, then a giant killer. Come on, folks. The number one business of this church before anything else, before you outreach, before Bible studies, before soul winning, the number one agenda is to give God glory. It's to worship and praise the living King of kings and the Lord of lords. The culture of Christ is a worshiping, exuberant, excited, vibrant church. You can break down Satan's barriers with your worship. You can destroy principalities and powers by being a worshiper. Devil out. Jesus in. Devil out. Jesus in. But when the doctors are saying you can't expect 
to have a normal life expectancy. They still see daddy come into the house of God for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. He is good and his mercy endureth forever. Dance on your dilemma. Worship over your problem. Walk on your storm with a dance. Give God glory. Come on, do something you've never done to get something you never got. Break out, hallelujah, in an extravagant display of worship. The reason I worship is because it invites the power and the glory of God so you can be blessed. I am telling you, don't back off. Don't back down on your worship. You don't need a seeker-sensitive service. You need the glory of God in this house. You need a place where the glory of God is invited with your dance, with your praise. I'm through, folks. Hallelujah. It's your opportunity. Can we clap all? Clap all your hands, all ye people, and shout with a voice of triumph. Come on, now is the time to worship. You've heard from Bishop, you've heard a word, and now it's time to put that practice and be worshipers. Can we just praise Him and worship with all that you have? Come on, let's just one more time give Him praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. Yes, you are. So good, 
on a Monday when you go back to your workplace, on a Tuesday when you go back to your workplace, and a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all of us are called to be a worshiper. Amen. All of us can lead ourselves into worship. pray one more time. I just feel God is not done. The times of worship, God is still moving in this place. Can I invite, if you have the Spirit of God, to worship Him with your spirit. There is a strong presence of God in this place. And Lord, we're going to respond to that. Lord, we're going to respond in worship with the lifting of hands. It's been long since we feel your presence in such a powerful day. So Lord, we respond to your love. We respond to you, Lord God. Lord, we receive, oh Lord God, the mantle of a worshiper, oh Lord God. And we're going to wear it, oh Lord God. We put on the garment of praise, oh Lord God, this week, oh Lord God. In the name of in the name of Jesus, we worship you, O oh Lord God. In Jesus' name, O oh Lord God. In Jesus. Can you turn to your neighbors and say, You are a worshiper? Thank you, everyone.